Wednesday morning here at JM and the AM. Thanks so much for tuning in. Well, just as I was giving up on the possibility of speaking with Steve Adelsberg this morning and going through a really, really cool story. You know, one of the reasons we've been so anxious to speak with him is his last appearance on the air brought about not only about a half hour of overtime at JM and the AM. I don't think we're going to be doing that this morning. <laughs> but uh, but those who really like sports and Judaism, and there are a lot of people in this audience like that, uh, we learned a lot. We had a lot of great conversation about a lot of different obscure things that a lot of people don't know about. And uh, what happened was um, earlier this week when I was – and I'm using a little bit of uh, – of story license here a little bit uh, earlier this week. Earlier this week when, um, when I was expressing frustration that the sports teams had been using the fields and courts of the major sports to express political positions and express themselves on important issues, important to many, uh, important issues in this world. Um, and I, like many, have been expressing uh, you know, irritability, expressing frustration with that practice. Steve Adelsberg said to me, wait, Nahum, wait. I don't think members of our community can be as intolerant of the usage of the fields and courts for political statements as you think they should. Steve Adelsberg, welcome back to JM in the AM. Good morning, Nachum. Thank you so much. You like that intro, huh? Very. Uh, you're, 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 that's the intro. Very the intro. That's it. Very dramatic. Uh, and here's the story, everybody, and then we'll get into you know what got. Uh, what got this conversation going? Uh, the story is, in 1972, those of you who don't know, September 1972 at the Olympic Village in Munich, Germany, Palestinian terrorists breached lax perimeter security, broke into two apartments being used by the Israeli Olympic team. They captured, held hostage, and eventually killed 11 athletes and coaches in what came to be known as the Black September attack, for many known as the Munich Massacre. Now this, for those of you who weren't around in 1972, um, this was a a major blow to the collective Jewish heart. I mean, and and the truth is to athletes around the world and to many, to many peace-loving people around the world, it was an unbelievable episode uh, that just um, completely shattered the notion that the Olympics or any gathering of of peace, uh, you know, um, peaceful competition, etc. You know, can go on without without any problems, and uh, the massacre was uh, something that has left a uh, a major major imprint on the Jewish world and certainly the state of Israel since then. So, Steve Adelsberg tells me that there were, and of course, I remember this as a kid. There were Jewish athletes on the Oakland Athletics. Right, this was happening in the middle of the 1972 season. Two really really well known athletes on the Oakland Athletics, who are known for their Judaism. Mike Epstein, who is really known for his Judaism, and Ken Holtzman, who to an extent was known as a uh, you know pretty uh, important or, or, or noteworthy member, I should say, of the Jewish community. 
So Steve, they wanted to uh, they wanted to they wanted to express themselves in the aftermath of the attack in September of 1972. And you asked me a trivia question, and we'll get to the answer eventually. Let's not give it away. Yes, yet you you asked me. Uh, you said in addition to these guys, and we understand why Epstein and Holtzman would you know express themselves about the Munich massacre. Uh, in addition to them, another one of their teammates. Uh, also donned a black armband in memory of the 11 athletes and coaches of Israel that were murdered on that September day. So first of all, Steve, I do owe a lot of people an apology, as you pointed out to me. Um, I am getting somewhat frustrated with the basketball courts of the NBA, with the fields of the NFL, eventually, and the and certainly the fields of Major League Baseball being used for uh, political statements and political action. Uh, you might suggest that if we know our history, Nahum Siegel, and we go back and we go back to the early seventies, we as a community got to be very careful criticizing this. When in nineteen seventy-two, athletes, Jewish athletes, went ahead and utilized the Major League Baseball field to make a statement of memorial and defiance in memory of the eleven athletes and coaches. So do you want to ch- do you want to chide me now on the air in front of everybody that I need to be a little bit more tolerant? What do you want to say? I want to tell you, like, if you remember back in '72, who was the head of the Olympic International Olympic Committee? Was a guy named not our friend Avery Brundage. Right. Avery Brundage, who in 1936 embraced Nazism and right. had the Olympics in Berlin in 19 those famous 1936 Jesse Owens Olympics right. where Marty Glickman the great announcer was taken off right. the Olympic relay team because he was Jewish and they put in Jesse Owens and Jesse Owens won his fourth gold medal and so Hit- and, Hitler, anyways, and Hitler was not happy with that he was not a happy camper he wasn't exactly happy with Jesse Owens either by no, the way no i'm saying when, wrong. when Owens won he was not happy a black man won he was not happy but you know who replaced who replaced Marty Glickman? It was Jesse Owens who replaced him? No, no. It was Mac Robinson. Oh, wow. Jackie Robinson's brother. No way. How do you, 100%. How do you, look you, that up. Jackie how do Robinson's you, brother replaced I, Marty Glickman. You know, I, I thought, I honestly thought, and I made a point of this when I had the the honor of inducting Dave Kufeld in the YU Hall of Fame. I made a point of this. I, I thought I knew every ounce of of Jewish sports trivia there is to know. And every time you come on, you tell us something. That was Jackie Robinson's brother who replaced Marty Glickman at the 36 Olympics? Look it up. It certainly was. Unbelievable. And and, and the thing was, that was like, you know, with Avery Brundage, the next day when they had him, they, they, they made a very big concession, the Olympics, that they the next day they suspended all games, all activity. Correct. Me- 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 meaning the day after the nighttime massacre because they were all murdered at night, correct? Exactly. So then they had to stay off. Avery Brundage and like most of the athletes did not attend the memorial. There was pictures of them sunbathing in their Olympic village right. and it was like a non-event. And I remember when Avery Brundage, at that time if you remember, the African nations boycotted the Olympics. Right. And he equated the African boycott with the murder of eleven Israeli athletes. Right. I mean, and, and the and the it, call and the call was, of course, for the Olympics to be suspended longer, or maybe, or maybe permanently right. for that year. Uh, that obviously did not happen. Uh, but and remember, but in who general, is the American Jew who is the American Jew 
who was the hero of those Olympics. Yeah, Mark. And they got him out of Germany one, two, three. The first. Oh, 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 one second. One second. I know that it's hard to argue with you because you know all this stuff. I believe that Mark Spitz was already back in the U.S. when it happened. It was Mark Spitz. They sent them back right away after it happened. No, no, no. I believe. I, I, I mean, again, you may be right because when it comes to this, I usually be. I'm very careful with you because I know you likely are right. But I think the story was that the the swimming events happened really quickly toward the beginning, and and that and and that he was in California already when he heard about the attack. I believe now because it's you, I'm really going to check that out, frankly. I don't trust myself when it comes to you. <laughs> now, uh, so this all happens. The 11 athletes and coaches, suspension of the Olympics, it never happens. I think the famous quote was something like, the games must go on or something, right? Didn't he say that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody, he, he's, the games have to go on. Right, something like and, that. And, like, you know, it, was, it really, I remember the announcer at the time for ABC was ABC, was on ABC, Keith was Jackson. the great Jim McKay. Oh, Jim McKay. Jim McKay. Right. He makes the announcement saying, oh, my God, oh, my God, we have terrible, terrible news. Because you remember, the first announcement was that the right. athletes were rescued. Right. And then came On the tarmac. The terrible right. news. Terrible right. news. That every, and I think he said everyone is dead. I believe that's what he said, right? Right. They all are dead. It was like. All right. So now we got to get back to this. Steve Adelsberg's with us. So Holtzman and um, uh, Holtzman and. Uh, I'm just looking right now to see if I can find this thing on Spitz because it's driving me nuts. Holtzman. Um, yeah, I can't see it this second. Holtzman and Epstein obviously uh, are, you know, a, a certain type of uh, prideful Jews. And I must say, Holtzman was no Epstein was known as the uh, kosher Lou Gehrig by one writer. Mickey Mantle bred on blintzes and gefiltivish by another. Holtzman was not as well. I mean, Epstein claims they actually put on tefillin in in, in, a, in a variety of cities around the United States in the early they 70s. Used to, they, they used to call Epstein, he was from the Bronx, they used to call him Super Jew. Super Jew, right. <laughs> and we didn't get insulted. We didn't get insulted. Yeah, in, in those days, people tended not to be insulted. At the ballpark, the day after the... Uh, the uh, the day after, and I'm reading from the article, the, the Deadspin article, uh, at the ballpark the day after the massacre, Epstein and Holtzman arrived and find black, this is the Oakland A's of 1972, folks, Charlie Finley, to find black strips of fabric already attached to the uniform jerseys. Unbelievable. And then they learned that they had a partner, and this is why Steve Adelsberg asked me via WhatsApp earlier this week, who was the third member of the Oakland A's who wore the black armband in memory of the Israelis, and I, thinking that, oh, my gosh, it's got to be a high-profile guy. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a big deal. Otherwise, Steve wouldn't be asking me the trivia question. So I guess Reggie Jackson, and you tell me that Mr. October himself, who, by the way, was at the top of the baseball world in 1972, he joined them in wearing a black armband. 100% right. That was a man. Unbelievable. Reggie Jackson. And, they, and every time I – go on. No, Epstein said that Reggie had no business putting it on. Um, he said he had issues with Jackson, which culminated with Reggie's famous no Jews in Texas comment that led to a fist fight in the month of May of 72. But Jackson, to his credit, went ahead. And again, like, you know, I keep talking about using the field for political statements. He used the field for a statement that day. Exactly. Exactly. Everyone has the same reaction. When I tell him it was Reggie Jackson, 
they take a step back and they go, whoa, that's good. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. And you said and, that and you said that Reggie, I mean his his uh his father had had some connection, knowledge. I mean, we we've discussed this you and I off yeah. the air about Luel Cinder Kareem Abdul Jabbar, that there is a you right. know one of the reasons he, he we, we have to assume that one of the reasons he's so close with the Jewish community is because of the interactions he and his parents had with Jews. And of course that's always the case. You dig deep and you find out that that's the story. That's what happened. You you told me that Reggie's father also had a an affinity in, in a way toward the Jewish community. That I don't remember as much, but I, I remember with, the two stories I told you about Kareem was very, I mean, Kareem was just flirting at this point where he converted to, uh, to be a Muslim. Right. And he says, in a quote, thank God for the Jews of Milwaukee, because I could eat meat. And he said that when he was in Milwaukee. And then I remember one time he was playing the Knicks. And you got to remember, you know, the, the sad thing about Kareem was he was a New York boy. Yep. He was a New York guy. Yep. Power, Memorial. Power Memorial. Yep. His, his, it, was, it was down to UCLA and Holy Cross on the east, up in Boston. Those are schools he was going to go to. But, you know, he picks UCLA. But he was, a, he was a New York boy, but he became a villain because he went up against our beloved Knicks of 69-70. And he was, the, he was the villain. And they used to say and it, was, it was the championships. It was the Eastern Conference. They just beat the Baltimore Bullets, now the Washington, uh, Washington Wizards. But they beat the Bullets, and they're playing. And now comes Lou Alcindor, and he's standing in the middle of our championship. And they serenaded him to a goodbye, Louie. And they and it was and we beat them four games to one, and he was always never really loved in New York after that. But the fact is, I remember him walking into Delhi City. Remember, Delhi City was across the street from Madison Square Garden, <laughs> right. and he wanted to go in there because he wanted a kosher sandwich. And the whole place starts going Lou, 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 and he just he just took off. Unbelievable! Unbelievable! So, but Reggie's father—you got something oh, oh, and, and I apologize. It wasn't you who told me about Reggie's father. It was Ken Holtzman. Holtzman. <laughs> Holtzman. Right. Wrote Mr. Jackson. Uh, here he says uh, Henry, who like his father before him, dealt in the industrial machinery. Sat next to Martinez Jackson while watching several of their sons' games, and the two became very friendly. Meaning Holtzman's father and and Reggie's father. Mr. Jackson knew some Hebrew and Yiddish words because he had a large Jewish clientele. So Reggie must have been exposed to that. Said Holtzman, he had contact with Jewish people growing up, was not entirely unaware of Jewish cultural characteristics. So when I saw Reggie with that armband, I felt he was understanding what me and Mike were going through. He didn't have anything to do with being Jewish, but felt it was appropriate to show solidarity not only with teammates but with the fact that. Athletes were getting killed. Um, <clears throat> now, it's funny because my brother, I, I checked with my brother. I said, you ever hear this story? And he said, I never heard this, but I bet you Reggie just did it for the attention, you know. And and Holtzman writes, Reggie's often accused by other players of grandstanding, of, showboat, of showboating, of trying to be the center of attention. Call it whatever you want, but Reggie's a lot deeper than that, a lot deeper than that. And that's interesting. You know, those who would think he was doing it for the publicity, which, of course, is not beyond the, the capability of Reggie Jackson, Holtzman says, no, you don't realize he's a deeper person than that, and he really meant it. Right, right. And, of course— We all raise our eyebrows in appreciation, yes, I could say. And, of course, you're 100% right, uh, based on the research we did quickly here. Mark Spitz had finished his competition, but he was on the ground in Munich when the massacre happened, and he ended up being flown home as soon as possible. So Steve Adelsberg, again, 
Again, you have proven that when you say when you say something, we've got to believe it. I still can't get over the Jackie Robinson brother thing. I got to look into that. That's just unbelievable. Now, I got now. I got to tell you, my father, I love a show. If he was alive, he would say one comment. Yeah, if he you, only you knew his Gamora like he knew his sport. If you knew your Gamora, only knew his Gamora like he knew his sport. If you knew, if you knew the location of the Tanaim and Amorayim the way you know the location of Mark Spitz. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, what can I tell you? Oh, he would he would follow that up with an eye. He would follow that up with an eye. <laughs> yeah, give me an eye. It would be tough an eye there. It would be an eye. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, is right. Uh, anyway, anyway, I hope that, oh, by the way, you know, the, um, as you know, the, uh, this season is a very, very strange one. Not only do we have the politics that I described earlier, but there are no fans in the stands and it's, right. and it's funny. And I'll tell you why it's funny because especially on the weekend when I'm looking at the Sunday schedule in my head. I'm saying to myself, "Oh, can I go to this game?" Forgetting that nobody's that nobody's allowed to go. To, I'm wondering if you're suffering the same thing that I am. <laughs> you know, you sit here and like for like three months, we have no sports events, yeah. and all of a sudden, I got to think twelve o'clock. Uh, the Nets are playing the uh, Orlando yeah. Magic this afternoon. You, know, you never know when they're going <laughs> to play at this point. They're playing all day and all night. It seems. You got you got you got hockey. You got all these things, and like you know, hey. So listen, it's a, it's a different world we're in now, and we have to go with it. We go with it. Bottom line, if we care about the uh, if we care about the political statements that Mike Epstein and Ken Holtzman are allowed to make, then we as a community, according to Steve Adelsberg, have to be a little bit more tolerant of athletes today are taking up causes on the courts and fields, even if we are uncomfortable with some of those causes. Is that how you would put it, Steve? That's right, I have to say. I remember, I remember how John Carlos and Tommy Smith That's right. in 1968, yep. uh, they, got, they got really just massacred on that. John yep. Carlos, I think, it ruins his career. Correct. You know, they, they, they wanted to make a statement. Yep. And, here, and, and here we're saying, hey, we're saying to the world, are the Olympics that important? They had to go on. Yep. 11 athletes were killed. No one even cared. So it's like, you know, we have to be sometimes a little tolerant and know, put, our, put ourselves in their shoes. By the way. By the way, I, I got to make one. La- I'm sorry for interrupting, but I'm, I'm concerned. No. I'm, I'm concerned about overtime again, which I can't do today. Um, one of the things Holtzman writes about, and I think it's really. We always talk about community. I mean, this show, as far as we're concerned, is community. It's people getting together, you know, every day, especially in times of crisis. And that's, you know, unfortunately, one of the reasons that our ratings are so much higher when there are crises and, and bombs and explosions and, mm-hmm. and and Jews in peril. Holtzman writes. I think it's him, unless it was Epstein. One of them writes. That we were looking for each other, we just we wanted we we wanted nothing more than just to spend time with each other. We'd take a walk together after hearing the news out of Munich, and I thought that's so poignant, that's so amazing. Right when it comes, look, right. look, we we'd like it to be, and it often is for good times as well. Thank God we celebrate a lot of good times together. But in terms of in t- times of tragedy, when the collective Jewish heart is in pain, all we do is try to reach out to others who are like us, and the two of them did that. The morning after the massacre in Munich. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I have to say, Nachum, I have to give a shout out to my good friend Lenny Kramer, who his this was his question. We argued about this stuff all along, but uh, you know, it was a it, it was a very very made us all stop and think. But as you said, it's a hundred percent right. You're a hundred percent right. Is that when we when Jews get we feel each other as brothers, and that when that happens, there's no there's, there's no reform conservative, black hat, white hat, 
as I think Ray, 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 uh, Rabbi Mayer's Latimer to love a shalom once said to me, when a bomb goes off, a terrorist bomb, it doesn't ask who's who. It just goes off. No question about it. That's it. No question about it. The collective Jewish heart, uh, it, it is one incredible beating, loving, and incredibly uh, um, a caring uh, um, apparatus. Let's put it that way, if we could use that word for something that's so abstract. The collective Jewish heart. Steve Adelsberg, thank you for bringing all these important things to our attention. We look forward, <laughs> we, we look forward already to our next uh, installment of these conversations. Think of some good ones. Okay, my friend. To you and your audience, have a safe day. All the best. There he is, Steve Adelsberg. 72 Olympics. Many of you are familiar. I mean, the younger people. Many of you have read about the uh, Munich massacre. Ken Holtzman, Mike Epstein. Who was the third Oakland A to wear an armband in memory of the Israelis? Who was the third to get out there on the field and make that statement? Statement of love and statement of defiance. And statement of memorial. Who did it? The answer, Reginald Martinez Jackson, Mr. October. Next time you see him, because a lot of people see him hanging around Yankee Stadium and sometimes down in Florida, remind him about that and how much it was appreciated.